Hi, I'm Caroline Carey, and you know, I'm always inspired by other people's life stories. So I listen for the soul journey that is interwoven between each individual's experiences throughout their life. Join me to hear for yourself how each narrative becomes a transformative and inspiring message for us all. Enjoy the podcasts. Being a writer myself, I've always wanted to know the ins and outs of publishing and how important each aspect of it is. I was delighted to have a conversation with Lucy Pearson recently from Ireland, who runs the Womancraft Publishing Company. She has a very different take on what it means to publish a book and why women's voices are so important to be read and heard in the world. She is no doubt a creative who explores the lost archetypes of the feminine and amongst that the symbols of the soul and the journey that it can take for a woman's voice to come into the world. If you like these podcasts and you'd like to see their continued growth, please consider joining our Middle Earth Medicine community. It costs £5 a month. We would love to have you on board so we can share more with you, including the visuals from some of these podcasts. So um, tell me, you're a publisher and you have the Womancraft Publishing Company. Would you call it a company? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And when I looked at your website, I went straight to the story aspect of it and mm. I, immediately it spoke to me. So um, Womancraft Publishing was founded on the revolutionary vision that women and words can change the world. Oh. Now I'm a, a wordsmith myself. I've written seven books. I'm passionate about the feminine and bringing that, the, I don't call it the healing, but um, the, you know, what has been unspoken, wanting to bring that to the surface. And I think as women, you know, you're certainly supporting that for women and um, getting our voices out there. Hey, so tell me, where did it start? How did you come to be this so it's it's a long and winding path but I started out looking for a publisher myself because I'm an author as well um my 12th book is coming out in March <laughs> so um so yeah so I was looking for a publisher and um submitting manuscripts getting rejections as we do when we are authors and um, eventually find a publisher. But in the process of, of waiting, I'm not a very patient person. So I self-published a couple of books. And to me, self-publishing felt a bit kind of like maybe second rate or a bit cheating. But they did really well. And then I got this deal with this publisher. And that book came out in the world. And it did really well too. But I didn't make nearly as much money from it. and the process just wasn't what, what I what I had hoped it would be. I didn't have this wonderful editor who was working with me. I didn't have this dedicated sales team who were helping me get it out in the world. It felt like I was doing just as much work as I did for the self-published books, except I didn't have the creative control over it and I wasn't making the money from it. And I was like, why would I be doing this then? Like, you know, I can sell my books. They've got an audience. Why not go direct to them? And at the same time, for the, last, the previous six years, I had been um, a contributing editor at a natural parenting magazine called Juno. So I was helping to, um, I had a column there, which became a blog, which became a book. Um, I was um, finding articles. I was interviewing people in the birth and natural parenting world. I was proofreading. I was you know, doing all the bits and pieces that an editor does and a person at a publishing company does. So I was like, I'd approached them for a raise. I'd been working for the same money for, for several years. It was a small company. They couldn't afford a raise. So I just, something in me just rose up and I said, that's okay. No worries. I'm actually going to leave and start a publishing company. And I was like, Okay, Lucy, you've just burned a bridge there. I mean, we're we still on very good terms, but I was like, you've just quit a job <laughs> um, on the hopes and thoughts that you could earn more doing something that you are in charge of. So I took all the skills that I'd got from 
publishing in the magazine world, self-publishing, and what I had learned from the publishing company that I didn't want to do, and the things that I did want to offer. I wanted to offer women writers creative control over their work. I wanted to offer them fair money. I wanted to offer them the mentoring and support that they needed as they worked on their manuscript and then put it out into the world. I wanted to offer them the sorts of places to market it that were resonant with them and in a way that wasn't high pressured like larger um, publishers can you know, send you on a book tour and you become totally overwhelmed and burned out. I needed to offer what it was that I was longing for and offer that to other women. So that's what I did. So we are celebrating 10 years next year, which um, is just incredible. Um, you know, I started it when my youngest was just starting school. She's now in secondary school. And we've had a really bumpy road personally in our lives. Um, really tricky times um, with uh, diagnosis uh, for myself and one of my children um, of autism, real breakdowns, burnouts. We've, we've had a bumpy health road. One of my children was diagnosed type 1 diabetic. You know, it's been tough, sure. um, but this has sustained our family throughout it. It has given myself and my husband who also works on the Womancraft team work that is really meaningful to us. It has created a community of authors around the world who are like family to us, who just bring such richness to our lives and a community of readers that has grown year on year on year that again feels like a circle of friends around us that is constantly expanding. And it's just it's such a gift to get to do this work to be sustained by it and to put it out into the world and grow that circle year on year is just so so special and such a blessing wow oh lucy it's, it's so great to hear that because you've really taken your own wounds and turned that into medicine for others mm. yeah and that's that's i mean for me that's what my work is all about and how mm. we go about that what would you say was the most challenging thing for you in all of this i mean you've mentioned the health difficulties but actually setting up a publishing group is is that's that's no small feat is it that's quite a, what were the, what were the particular things that you came up against i mean we have always grown it sustainably and kept it sustainable so we are a small team and we choose to be a small team you know a few years back we had the opportunity to consider you know taking on loans um, so that we could grow bigger, so we could get a bigger team. And for me, it's very important that it is a a handmade business, that it's it's small and that the authors that we take on, each of them gets personal care, that people who buy direct from us, that they get personal care, that their orders matter to us when they come in. And so that's what we've done. Like we're a team of, we've got two of us full-time, uh, we've got... Um, one of our authors who we took on because her her previous world was being a social uh, media marketing person so we've taken her on for our social media we have a woman who uh works in our you know who does basically our office uh work so she is a, a friend in the local area so she does that and we've recently taken on another woman for marketing strategy so we're a very small team but that means that you know relationships come first it's like when we sign a contract with our authors it's a legal contract but first and foremost is communication good communication good relationships between us and whoever we work with and it, it matters to us you know we do the same with our publisher uh, with our printers we have a printer that we use here in ireland we have a printer that we use in estonia um you know and then we've just been taken on by um Red Wheel Wiser, who are a large um, magic and occult publisher and distributor in the US, to distribute our books, to widen our reach there. And so it's that constant thing of starting with the personal, starting with building relationships, rather than building it on a capitalist model of getting loads of money in, then what do you do with the money? No, we started from what can we do? What are our skills? Like with any entrepreneurial thing, you have to do all the jobs. You have to wear all the hats. 
Um, and so, you know, we started out doing that. And then as we've got bigger, then we've been able to say, you know, this is something that I'm not so good at or I don't enjoy doing so much. Or if I didn't do this, it would free up my creative time to do something else. And so that's when we take on somebody else. But it's very much been we have to be able to do all the things. And I mean, I grew up. Um, my father is a potter. He's pretty well known here in Ireland, Stephen Pierce. And um, so, you know, I grew up working from a very young age in the pottery, doing everything. So, you know, for a couple of weeks, I'd be in the packing area, then I'd be working in the shop, then I'd be waxing and glazing, then I'd be up in the office doing um, sales, answering phones. So I really got a sense of in a small business, you have to be able to wear different hats, you have to be able to get good at all of them. And you know, that building relationships is the key and the heart of any small business, because, you know, if you don't have that, if you don't have people's trust, if you don't have their respect, their desire for what you're doing, then you're nothing. So, um, you know, that just it's it. It is involved in every single decision we make, every single thing that we do is thinking about our authors, thinking about the books we're putting out into the world, the why of why we're putting them out there, thinking about our readers, thinking about what is out there already, where the gaps are, how we can best meet that need. So it's it's very heart-led business rather than a capitalist model of start with capital, invest that into lots of shiny things, and then you have to be able to pay that back fast and grow and grow and grow. We're not a large growth model business we're very much a sustainable business on every level and that includes ourselves like our team we have um, menstrual awareness in our team so that you know when somebody's approaching their periods and they're feeling burnt out and exhausted we know that they are going to you know do less work that day or maybe not work at all that day and we have complete openness about you know where we all are in our cycles and what our needs are the same with family needs you know, several of us have children, children come first. Therefore, if there's a child homesick, if a child has an appointment, that's not even a question that comes first. And the same with our authors. We just keep that clear communication going that we're human beings with human needs and they come first, not a business model, not money. I, I think this is music to my ears, Lucy. I, I, <laughs> I mean, fantastic. So great to hear this. I mean, what a, a great model you have to, you know, and it just, yeah, just what you can share with the world around that sort of setting up of a business and what the priorities are. So important, hey, I love it. Yeah. I, I'm very, you know, and we're a profitable business and our books have won it's awards. And, you know, the reason we got picked up by the American distributor was because they saw the sales of a couple of our books and they were like, whoa, how are you guys doing this? You know, so like, it's not that we're doing all this kind of, you know, like the fluffy stuff and we don't have any money left at the end. You know, we are supporting our family. We're supporting many other women authors and we're doing it in a way that is kind to us all. What an amazing example. Yeah. Thank you. It's so good to hear that. And yeah, long may. And then environmentally, I mean, just to kind of, you know, widen it out a bit, we print in the country where... Um, the, the books are sold, so our major markets are um, the US is number one, then UK, then Australia and the rest of Europe. So we print in each of those locations and the books get shipped from there because people may not be aware that in the publishing industry, what tends to happen is they do a massive print run of their first the first time they print the book. And that will be done usually in China um, with you know, interesting ethics and working practices there um, will be done for very cheap. So books cost almost nothing to print for the large publishers, whereas they do for us because we print smaller. They then ship them over. So they will then be shipped across the world. Then they will be distributed out from that one place that they have been shipped to. And then all the books that aren't sold, um, either the, that from individual bookshops that then return them to the publisher or that the publisher can't sell will either go to like pound shop type things or will just be pulped. So we'll be, you know, ripped up, pulped. Hopefully we'll make other books, might not. Whereas we don't pulp books. 
we print what we're going to sell. We do a print-on-demand um, model for our um, books that get sold online. So we only print the books that we need to sell. And if we get returns ever, um, you know, from a package that went astray somewhere or a bookshop that can't sell certain books, we resell them on at a discount so that our readers who don't have the budget to buy full price books can buy cheaper books from us. And then um, in terms of environmental stuff also, you know, we, we do try to print with a local printer. We return all the boxes back to them. So those boxes get reused. We have packaging that, you know, can be ripped in half and go in the two different recycling bins. And then we have educational projects that we support. So we support um, World Reader, which is um, a company that gives ebooks out to people in developing countries and they provide the you know kindle or phones to read them on and as a publisher we give the license so that they can read as many of our books as they want so our books have been read by hundreds of thousands of people free of charge in developing countries you know books on menstrual health on understanding your cycles are being read by women and girls in cultures where periods are really not spoken about and often seen as very dirty and like marking you out as you're not allowed to be included in culture at that time. Um, our books are also given to red tents, women's circles, feminist libraries, women's prisons, and then we give um, a percentage of our earnings every year to Tree Sisters, which is helping to reforest the tropics. Uh -huh. um, and then each of our books the, the authors often choose other charities which they give a proportion of their earnings to so that for example my new book on called crow moon is about the woods so i'm giving money from it to two local woodland projects so that they have money coming back to them for the inspiration that i drew from their woods Ooh, so we're, we're a full circle giving and receiving um business Absolutely. Wow. How incredible. Whoa. I, I'm, I'm blown away, actually, by all of that. That's, that's just remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Well Thank done. You. Well done. <laughs> that, that's incredible. Oh, um, so, yeah, let, let's come back to you now for a moment. <laughs> a business model. Can everybody please pay attention to that? Because I think the world needs and, and you're, a, a, yeah, fantastic to have, have created that. I so, mean, we're not perfect, but it's what uh, we hope that business will become. You know, it should be the standard, really, the basic. Of course, of course. <laughs> absolutely, of course it should be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what a pioneer you are. So let's come back to you. Where did you, when did you start to write? What was, what's your writing path? So I um, didn't know when I was a child, but I, I have Asperger's, I'm on the autistic spectrum. And so I am what you call hyperlexic. It means that I read everything. I read a lot. I read fast. I read to calm myself. I read to to regulate myself. And so I have been doing that since I was very young. I could read before I went to school. My mother, um, who is also on the spectrum, we've discovered, has always nurtured me with books she loves books books were always around so they were always a large part of my life as was reading and basically from as as soon as I could put sentences together I was writing books so I would write a book a year um just you know little projects so sometimes it was a school project that I would just take to heart so the other kids would do a couple of pages and Lucy would full, fill an entire exercise book with writing and pictures on this and win every prize going for these school projects which must have made me hateful to the other kids but I was just doing it because I loved researching I loved writing I loved putting these things together I'd also create books as gifts um so my uh stepmother had this rather lovely habit of I didn't realize she was doing it, but every year I would make her a gift for Christmas or um, her birthday and she would keep them. And over the last few years, she's been giving them back to me so I could see this work that I made with great love for her. And one of them was a book. 
And um, so each of my books was kind of influenced by whatever I was reading at the moment. And it was, you know, a kind of a recreation of one of those in my own kind of way. And so I was really into the Osborne books at this stage and the puzzle books and kind of how to. Um, so they had this thing where it was kind of like creating a pen name that had a kind of a double meaning. And so she gave me this book back and my pen name that I'd chosen was Sheila Peer. And I saw this and this was five years into Womancraft and I was like, wow, even then, Sheila Peer, you know, she was at the heart of it. And the first page of this book said, this book is only for women and girls. No men are allowed to read it. Like, this is Lucy age nine. Amazing. So, <laughs> it was deep this um this thing of creating books and of yeah both writing and creating them myself of of needing to put them out into the world um so I did all sorts of things you know I did a kind of a Roddy Doyle-esque novel and I did a very racy story for um, my English literature class which I would write more chapters of it each night and like the older girls like I was not a cool girl at school I was 12 or 13 at the time but the older girls like 13 14 15 were coming up to me getting me to read the next chapter because it was really racy <laughs> and the teacher didn't quite know how to handle this um you know I did cookbooks and I did you know so all of that and then when I was at university um I had my first experience of what I would call channeling. Now, when I say that, I have no attachment to where it's coming from, what the source is. I don't need to give it a name. I don't, I just know that I trust it. It's good and it's safe. It's it's not a, a dodgy thing coming through me so I can trust it. Um, and I just, these, these, this voice, these ideas, which I knew had to be written down, came into my head. So I just wrote them down. And as soon as I'd written them down, so they kind of kept going over and over until I did. Like the same thought voice kept going over and over the first couple of lines. So I wrote them down. And then the next couple of lines came. And it just carried on like that. So I went to a cafe. And I spent several hours at that cafe. And it just kept coming. It wasn't, I hadn't planned it. I wasn't thinking about that topic before it just kept coming and then it was time for my next lecture so I, I I went into the toilets before the lecture and then through the lecture I was kind of trying to get bits down and it carried on as I was going on the bus and the train on the way home so I must have been writing for about eight hours that day and it just kept coming it wouldn't stop and so that I realized needed to be a book so I this this voice came back a few times, but never with that intensity and that much. And I shaped it into book form. And I was 20, 21 at the time. Put it aside because what do I do with that? And it was when I was must have been 30. By that stage, I had three children. And I kind of took this book out to show a couple of friends and they read it and you know they were encouraging but that was that and then I was 31 and my youngest was about one my oldest was about four and a half five and all three of them got chicken pox at the same time and I'm there with three cranky itchy kids all on top of me, the youngest one still breastfeeding and feeling totally overwhelmed by this need to have to mother them and need to be by myself. And this this voice came through again. I'd seen a blog post the day before about this thing called the creative rainbow mother. And it just set something aflame inside me and I needed to know more about it. So. I googled, I found one, the book that had come from and there was literally only, it was by Lynn V. Andrews and there was literally only two pages on it in the entirety of that book and I was like how can there be nothing more on this, I need this and I know that there's other mothers who need this and so that day, sat there 
with the three children climbing on me, I just, I picked up my laptop and it was coming through. So that's the intensity with which this voice comes through me. It's not like, oh, I must have a nice writing retreat. And it's like, it doesn't matter where I am. I can be in the middle of insanity and the world is carrying on around me and it has to come out. Uh, this is so great because I can relate to that so much so because for me, that's it was when I was traveling a lot. I'd be on a plane or a train or a bus or somewhere. And that's where I found most of my writing started to happen or in the midst of a workshop and dancing. Oh. There had to be movement. I needed something to get, make me go in, you know, something oh. to come in um, and to hold the space for that while the world was busy around me. So I can really relate to that. I'm very similar. I find it actually quite hard to sit down and write at home. I sort of sit in my shed and go, oh, okay, right, I ought to write a chapter. And it's like, well, yeah, I need something to to sit or keep away from almost to to just quieten me inside so that yeah I'm not I'm not thinking I ought to be doing something else it's, it's yeah of... I mean all those years like when I was writing and the kids were little I had this kind of dream of just you know oh just imagine if I had all day to write and da, da, da. Mm -hmm. and they're all in secondary school now so officially from the time they go to school until they come back I mean Obviously, I'm also running Womancraft, so it's not like I'm twiddling my thumbs with nothing to do. But when I choose to have writing days, I have a whole day, but it doesn't work in the same way. Yeah. So I need to like what I normally do is I go for a walk. Second, I start walking. The writing starts happening. So now I take yeah. my phone with me and I have a transcription app. Yeah. So I talk into it and it transcribes it. Now, it obviously kind of doesn't understand everything and you get some very weird words going yeah. in there. But um, that's how I get the writing started. Or I'll be driving the kids, you know, home from school and suddenly it'll come to me and I'll be like, right, get paper, guys. Listen, <laughs> you know. I just, I, I'm, I'm amazed. I can't believe someone does exactly the same thing as me. <laughs> I do exactly that. I take my dogs for a walk I've got the phone there I transcribe into the phone suddenly I've got this the dogs get a bit annoyed with me because they'll suddenly start saying on a minute and then I'll bark and screw the whole thing up but yeah I I, I record it and and put it down and then get home and yes it comes up with some very strange little bits every now and again but that's how I do it that's how I write my books Bex does it for me too I mean you know with my husband I'll be finishing I'll be like oh my god oh my god there is such an idea here and he's kind of going to sleep and I'm like writing like a mad one <laughs> yeah have you ever done the thing picking up the phone and going under the covers and just talking and just recording no not yet but I never say never <laughs> I do a bit of that sometimes I'm not disturbing anybody else but I'm just quietly talking away and uh Oh, this will be or when it starts coming through you know also if you're just going to sleep almost asleep and suddenly the voice is there and it's like I, I say to myself I'll remember it in the morning I know that I won't mm -hmm. and the voice knows that I won't so it keeps on on loop and I'm like no no it's okay I'll remember you and I know you won't lose it goes on and then until I eventually I will turn on the light and write down the words and then suddenly more words will come and an hour later or two hours later yeah. you're still writing and I'll turn off the light each time one bit's finished I'm like okay I'm done it's done we're good and then nope there it comes again <laughs> I'm exactly the same Lucy it's so wonderful to hear somebody having the same experience <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because we, we talk about writers retreats and all you've got to go off into nature and, you know, but for busy women with mothers and, and with jobs, other jobs and things like that, it's just not actually possible a lot of the time. But those writing moments can happen anywhere. Mm. And we realise that and there's no rules, hey, there's no rules to that. I think the place for the writing retreat, as far as I would be concerned, would be at the other end of the book when I'm needing to do a day where, because I I love editing, you know, I'm an editor in my day-to-day -day work, I'm good at it, I can hold a lot of information in my head at one go and weave it backwards and forwards, kind of restructure stuff, I've got a real strength at that, but it takes all of my brain power and all of my focus. So at that point, if I have a full day, what I'll try to do is to get from the beginning to the end of the book in one sweep. And that's when a writer's retreat would be helpful to me because then I'd be being fed at the end of the day. I wouldn't have to stop to pick up kids. I could just literally immerse myself. But it's not in the writing process I need that. It's in the, the end bit. 
No, I get it. I get it. So what what are your books about largely? I mean, I, I take about women's stuff, but um, yeah, any, any, are they? I mean, they're weird books. Like I, I've got to put that out there straight away. Um, they are mainly about uh, the what I call the lost archetypes of the feminine. So they are the parts of ourselves that perhaps we were never told existed or were never told were allowed to exist, which I have been initiated by in my own life. Mm -hmm. This part has emerged as what I understand as an archetype. I'm quite a visual person, so they, they, they are visual to me as well as having their own very strong energetics which is reflected often in the language we use when we talk about those times in our lives when they emerge so for example burning woman was like probably the strongest biggest scariest one to emerge for me um blindsiding me and i suddenly noticed that other women when they were talking about what i thought of as burning woman would use metaphors of fire when they were talking about both their passion emerging from them, but also, so we, we burn with passion, um, the flames of our desire. We talk in those sort of language, uh, but also there was this flip side to it, which was the fear of allowing ourselves to be seen in this passion and this burning because of the fear of being burned by others, by being shamed, by being, punished by being silenced and there was this this witch archetype at the heart of the burning woman which is what patriarchy has used for thousands of years in order to silence women who spoke out women who said things that made patriarchy uncomfortable women who disagreed with the patriarchs would be burned as witches and we hold and carry that with us. But it, is, it isn't and wasn't just the witch burnings. It is a cultural thing that continues now. And so I was experiencing this. This was at the beginning of my womancraft journey. Um, and I experienced in my own private life several instances where I was either burned from other women on the outside who were trying to shut me up and shut me down or initiatory experiences you know a car crash a sudden loss of money this and that and the other and then ill health following which just burned my life down and was just like whoa what's happening because my life is on fire here and it doesn't seem to matter what i do everything is in flames so it was thinking about that, talking to other women who'd experienced both elements, the being burned by other people and seeing their life go up in flames. And understanding this not just as something that I, Lucy, was experiencing or that each of them was experiencing individually, but actually an archetypal experience, an initiatory experience that we're not told about in our culture. There's just not language for it. And so women keep quiet about these experiences because they feel shame around them. They feel alone. And so Burning Woman, perhaps more than any of my other books, has given a language which has kind of started hitting the mainstream now. Like there's women who've got tattoos of burning women on them. These words are shared again and again and again on social media. They seem to hit something very deep in other women of, oh, this is language for something that I know, but I wasn't able to express before. Yeah. So that's what my books do. Each of them is an expression of one of these archetypes that we experience that is beyond the archetype of you know mother or good girl or princess or queen the things that women are allowed to be secretary you know the things that women are allowed to be there is a lot more in our depths which we have no language for so another one is medicine woman and it is about the journey of illness and healing and how that feels and looks when you are kind of going between the mainstream and the alternative and nobody has any answers and you're feeling alone and that initiatory experience of being sick for a long time and feeling scared and alone in it. Um, I have another one called She of the Sea, 
which is about the sea and the feminine and how the two seem to be connected throughout culture and how and why that is and what the call of the sea is to us on every level from the um like the prehistoric to the um the uh mystical to the biological like what is it that the sea has over us and why is that defined as feminine so each of my books is is a deep dive into an initiatory experience a world it provides the tools and creative approaches that i use during my journey so that if you're experiencing this too there are ways that you can explore it and dive deeper um but it's a they're always a mixture of personal experience from me personal experiences of many other women because my experience might not be yours but there are many other women who've had this too so they also contribute there is always a poetic voice that is woven in and out um, which is the channeled voice that I get. Um, there are these uh, these exercises and tools. And then there is also the research. You know, I love research. I was very academic um, the whole way through university. So I don't want it just to be, you know, this is this is my experience. You've got to believe it. Like, what is the what is the truth of it out in culture, in the world, through history? Uh, where can we find examples of this? And so I weave that in too. So it's grounded in, in reality. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just an inner journey. It is also rooted in culture and history. Fantastic. Yeah, so good. So good. And, and you know, being an academic, it's something I can't relate to because I was never an academic, but I did love to write and I, I grew to love to write. In fact, I was forced to to write before I went to school by my mother who insisted mm. you will be able to write when you go to school <laughs> that will prove to the teachers that I'm a good mother um, and it, it, it sort of went against me in a sense but in, in some ways it didn't as well because I became very poetic in my writing so it was poetry I was writing more than anything else and I could write before I went to school and read um, but it was a kind of a forced thing and so oh. I adapt to this and find my own way and so my my writing now feels very channeled and personal experience some research and also um that the poetry that still wants to flow so my my language is is very much um yeah has has, has been around that and and developed in that way so what are your hopes now for the future of womancraft and where do you see yourself going with it I mean, this is something that we were kind of, I was exploring with the woman who's supporting us with marketing was kind of like, what is the vision for, for the next 10 years ahead? I mean, for me, it is to, to keep, we see ourselves as making ripples. So each book, you know, we throw the pebble in the pond, which is the book, and it goes out to the first ripple of our, our inner circle of, you know, womancraft subscribers, followers, and then they ripple it out to their people and then it gets you know when it's out onto um amazon and and places like that in the big wide world you know it's reviews from people that will ripple it out or people coming across it when it's recommended to someone else so it's constant rippling is how we see our spread which feels natural organic unforced um and gentle so we, we just want to kind of continue um, doing that. I mean, something that I've always very much experienced is that a deep desire to be invisible, which is quite ironic given my chosen profession, which is you have to be visible if you're writing books and, and publishing books. But to me, invisibility is safety. And so it's it's trying to find how can I be visible but still feel safe enough um so it's it's an interesting path i mean you know we we certainly are always looking to um increase diversity um in the women that we publish the voices that we publish and that is is a push for us and also reaching a greater diversity of readers so um what we've discovered is that uh audiobooks are on massive 
desirable for a lot of readers for a lot of different reasons some women because they listen when they are exercising some women they listen when they are working in the house or driving to collect children um, some women listen because their eyesight is poor some women listen because they're dyslexic and struggle to read so there's all of these different women who want and need our books but can't access them in traditional book form and so you know creating audiobooks is very expensive and it is a huge energetic thing i'm not sure if you've recorded an audiobook but um we just i didn't expect it when i recorded my first one i just thought right you read the book you're done the the sound editor edits it done no it's like it comes to life through you you live the emotional journey of that book and it's coming out through your voice through your body i mean at the end of each day i physically couldn't move just because there was so much just trying to keep myself upright whilst this was coming through me for hour after hour was just hard hard work that i didn't expect um and all of our authors have have fed back the same just the intensity of energy that you are channeling through you yeah. um so so that's that's a kind of an aim for us too just broadening widening reaching further but keeping it sustainable for ourselves that, that is really interesting because i started to read my one of my books and i was making an audiobook and i got to one chapter and i just thought I don't think I'm ready to read this out loud. Yeah. I don't even I don't even go back over a lot of the writings that I do. I don't even read them back once they're edited and out there. Um, and and it was quite difficult for me to to think. Oh, can I? I, I mean, hopefully I will one day. But I need to really be in the right frame of mind and have the right resources around me to be able to do that because it's quite intense. It's, it's intense. big work and. To me, I've done two of my books now. Mm. It has felt like the final piece of the writing puzzle in that you are similar to when I teach them. You know, if I go to an event and I'm speaking there and I'm teaching the book, but because you're doing the whole text, you are literally embodying the text and you are giving it your physical voice. And there is something that... You know, whenever I finished a book, it very much feels finished. But energetically to me, it felt even more finished when I had embodied and invoiced them. Um, and the feedback from listeners was deep gratitude. The amount of emails I get saying I've been in tears listening to it because there are points in the book where I am in tears reading it. Whereas you don't get that if you've just paid a narrator for it, you know, they will just do a professional job. Whereas you can hear the story, you can hear what it means to me in my voice. And so that is a deep gift for the listeners because they they get the full energetic reality of what this is. They don't have their own voice in their head, they have my voice in their head. Oh yeah, I, I I get it. Yes, Let, let's come back for a moment because I, I'm I'm always you know one of my favourite subjects is around what we've talked about, what you've shared about the witch burnings and how women have been stifled and shut down. Medicine women of all all manner of um you, you know kind of medicine ways. And so for us women now to be putting our voices out into the world, the bringing our soul through our soul work whatever it is our medicine um there are some fears i think oh. that have ingrained in us that have been with us from way way back hundreds of years um and we still feel it energetically i think in the bones in our dna in our the lineage of women that have come before us i certainly do and i can i get that sometimes i feel that i have no idea why i Feel like I, I can't quite get this out. I'm confident. I'm experienced. I'm very qualified. I've done so much work on myself, and I'm really open to sharing as much as I possibly can. Um, and yet, there is still something, and I I put that down to my history or my my the, the the history of the women that have gone before me. 
and what happened when we did try to bring our medicine to the world. Now, you, you, you speak about that and how much do you think it is still playing out today in society at large, particularly in the bigger corporate world? Um, what does a, a little, lovely little business like yours, how is it affected, do you think, by that, that old historical um, experience that women have been through? So, I mean, on a personal level, I experience that with each of my books. I get to a point where I can't write anymore because I can't go there because the fear is so big and either it blinds me to where I need to go or I just try turning in a different direction, a safer direction, the easier direction, and then the book stops. It stalls, nothing happens. And I'm there knowing that I'm literally between a rock and a hard place. I can fake the book. I can do an easier version of it, which, you know, will probably do OK, but it won't be my truth and it won't have done its process through me. Like each of my books is a process for me, which the reader then gets and goes through that process for themselves. And so if I cheat that process, it will be obvious. And I won't have got the medicine from the journey. But it is truly terrifying. So often in my books, I will include a couple of dreams that come up during it so that people, because people often, if they're not um, into psychoanalysis or Jungian work or that sort of thing, they might not know that their dreams are holding really important symbols and reflections of the creative process that's happening through them, the inner journey that's happening through them during their daytime life. And so I will often share a couple of dreams in it that are, are pertinent to the process so that they can see this pattern of how things emerge from our unconscious when we are relaxed in our sleep. Mm. Um, so, but I think what I know is that my experience of this fear when I write these books is common as muck. Every single woman who comes to me with any feedback about my books says, you have given voice to something that I didn't dare say. I couldn't look straight at I didn't know was there but actually was there deep in the depths so you know it's not just me going through this like we have all been shut up and shut down on a whole variety of topics especially to do with being a woman what it's okay to be or feel or say as a woman and it is very gendered in those terms like you know so I, I'm I'm really aware of that. And those women who have experienced it in themselves and have been able to kind of see the bigger picture can can see this kind of bigness. But most women just feel it's them by themselves and they don't realize that it is a shared experience. How does it play out in the bigger sphere? What it, how it plays out as far as I see is in terms of rape threats and threats of cancellation, threats of violence against women in the public eye. Like, you know, I was watching a program a couple of weeks ago um, on the last six years in politics in the UK and a variety of different uh, UK MPs talking about women MPs talking about their experience of threats of violence and rape and it's now a daily thing men are not the male MPs are not experiencing that the women MPs are not experiencing it because they're talking about something specific to do with rape or something it's because they're women that these threats are coming at them in this way the patriarchy has shaped us to believe that if you do not like what a woman is saying, you threaten her and she has to shut up and you threaten her strongly enough. And that's usually with extreme violence. Cancellations happen with men, I feel like, 
you have to reach a far higher level of guilt before you get cancelled as a man. We've experienced an attempted cancellation of one of our authors, which was traumatic and horrific and extremely petty and really the, the the thing very much was you need to remove this book and it was simply people who didn't like her ideas approach and didn't think she had a right to say them and so not only was were we told that we had to remove the book she was basically constantly bombarded into staying silent and the strongest thing that happened was you know the 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 received wisdom is when this happens you lie low you let it wash over all things move on but this just carried on happening and it was carrying on and carrying on and it was a concerted effort from many people who were working together to make this happen. And she just stood up and she, she said to me, Lucy, I need to say something. This is not okay. She's an elder. She's, you know, in her 70s. And she said, this is not okay. And I said, we agree this is not okay. And so she, she stood up. She explained, because she'd been explaining point by point everything that people had been coming to her with. And she she explained point by point her things, her... um. Um, she is dyslexic, so the the woman who was her scribe was also going point by point through people's issues. But it had got to mudslinging just on her character as a woman, her her right to work as a woman, her right to do her work. And she she just stood and and spoke her truth, and then said, "I do not accept being treated like this." And we did the same. We we had her back, and we said. You may not like her book, and that is totally up to you, but there is nothing harmful in this book. This woman is of great integrity. She has worked for years in this field. She has a devoted following of people who know her work and can stand by her work and her as a human being, and that we will not stand by somebody being dehumanized and somebody trying to be silenced. If you do not like her work, that is perfectly acceptable and you are perfectly entitled not to buy her book. But her book stands and she stands and we stand beside her. Good for you. I really feel the passion in that. Wow. It was terrifying and we are still traumatised from that experience because the shame that was thrown on us from all sides, the absolute shame of it's disgusting what you're doing it's disgusting i you know i have a daughter and i will tell her never to be a person like you like what the hell mm, mm. but that is how women are silenced and this is this is i mean just the i the notion this is still going on in the world this is still happening to us it's just one tiny example tiny example of, and and so women are still being burnt in in one way or another yeah, and, yeah. and that's why burning woman resonates so strongly with so many people because they've experienced that thing of they put their head above the parapet they say something that is meaningful and true to them and people come at them and are disgusted and are wanting you to feel shame yeah. for who you are and what you are and what you said and want you to burn wow and, and it this is, is why yeah. we need each other this is why we need each mm -hmm. other Women need to stand together, not be threatened by each other, not be jealous of each other, uh -huh. just really stand together and support each other's growth, hey, and, and and to speak out when necessary. Absolutely. And, you know, so many of these experiences of burning are women at the hands of other women. You know, it's yeah. it's shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's many stories of that women siding with the, the authorities in order to keep themselves safe sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I share an example in Burning Woman, which was happening at the time that I was writing it. So that was 2014, 2015, I was writing it, of um, a female journalist in a respected uh, news outlet in Australia had um, revealed this story of um, the wrongdoings of a male member of parliament there 
um, sexual misconduct, stuff like that. And he stood up and called her a mad fucking witch for what she had written about him. Like all, not just allegations, but proven things. And that was his retort. Oh, yeah. You know, in the halls of power, a man against a woman, that's what you use. Like, if we're still dealing with that now, then, you know, we've got a lot of work still to do. This is a um, a huge conversation, hey, one we might have again sometime, I'm, I'm hoping, because... Um... Yeah, it's such an important one, hey? So important. Um, but yes, if a woman comes to you with her burning heart and saying, I've got a message for the world and I really want to put it out there, how does she go about that with you? Well, we open for submissions once a year. Um, we have just closed our submissions and, and been through them and taken on some new authors um, now. So it's October each year. Um, and the witching hour <laughs> and um, so we had the submissions guidelines on our website womancraftpublishing.com we're very clear about what we take and what we don't take um, we have to be very clear about that because we only publish four books a year and that is a very strong boundary put in by me because I have burned out trying to do too much trying to be too much trying mm. not to say no trying to take on all the good stuff and actually I can't. So, um, and then there is also a recording of a Zoom call that um, I did uh, about two months ago, um, giving you a real kind of talk through who we are, what we do, how to submit, how to make the best effort of a submission to us, which is also great guidance for submitting to, to any publisher. So I do recommend if, if people are wanting to publish, you know, it is a supportive and information filled hour-long call of how to make the most of your submission to a publisher fantastic what a lovely gift beautiful mm. well we're going to come to the end of of this um podcast lucy what's your message to the women out there at this time what's your personal message to them to help with their growth their creativity um, and what they want to bring into the world the, the simplest and the most important one is that you are not alone. In whatever you are experiencing right now in this moment, you are not alone. And there are people, whatever it is you're experiencing, there are people who've been through that before. There are people who are going through it now and there are people who have come out the other side who have wisdom and insight that they can share, tools, supportive things that they know that could come your way to help your path um, and that if you can find a way of giving language to what you are experiencing if you can and that doesn't have to be spoken language that can be written language that can be movement language um, we haven't touched on the fact that um, I go to classes with one of your um, students disciples uh however you want to describe her yeah um, I'm a disciple I can't <laughs> that apprentice in, um, trained with me yes I know in, in middle earth medicine and you know for me the place before language is movement the yeah. place before images is movement and so just to be able to get whatever is in your body, in your unconscious, that is feeling too big, too much, too stuck, any of those things, to be able to begin to move it out is just, because being stuck is the worst, being stuck in whatever it is. Mm. And, you know, life, life is flow, life is movement, life is ebb and flow, you know and we need to contract and we need to expand and so often we can get stuck in the contraction and in contraction we feel alone mm. and then we can feel fear we can feel overwhelm and just that ability to find that way to get into movement into flow again is the biggest gift life has for any of us beautiful oh lucy thank you so much and yes for me dance 
movement. That's how I've written, come to write my books. That's the flow of energy that comes through me. Dancing, writing, writing, dancing. That's um, freed up my voice incredibly. What a gift you are. Thank you so much, Lucy. And all the details that you have to share, we're going to put with this podcast. So your website and the submission page, all, all of those things, if, if women want to get in touch with you and listen to that that video that you have to offer as well. I think that would be great. Um, and anything else that you'd like to share. So thank you so much for being with me today. In this amazing wonderful really lovely great thank you so much for listening right to the end i hope you enjoyed that podcast and remember you can be in touch with myself or this speaker my website is middleearthmedicine.com we have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just five pounds a month and we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there plus meeting online with regular groups you can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.